Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that this is our last episode of the season. But there's another way to follow Other Men Need Help in the meantime. Our series actually mined a lot of episode ideas from a monthly newsletter I started years ago. Now, once this season wraps, we're going to bring back that newsletter, this time weekly. Starting this summer, you can get weekly stories, interviews, short films, and suggestions for what to read, listen, and react to in the world of masculinities. You just need to sign up at markpagan.substack.com. That's me, Mark with a K, P-A-G-A-N, dot substack.com. Membership is free, and there will be bonus content coming for those who want to pay. Again, join the extended Other Men community this summer at markpagan.substack.com. The first episode of this show went out on September 18th, 2017. And the night before that, I met the person who I was going to marry. That person was, and is, Caitlin May Burke. You've heard her name because she's also a producer on this show, and, well, she's not just a producer on this show, she's an incredibly talented producer of documentaries. So her name and work have reached many ears and eyes. At the time we met, I was in a place in life where I just wanted to focus on my creative and professional life. And I was working very hard the night of September 17th, 2017, to get the first episode of this podcast edited. A podcast that I really wasn't sure would exist past the first season. Friends of mine convinced me to take a break and head to a Rosh Hashanah potluck they were hosting. Come get some brisket, they said. Well, there was no brisket, but there was Caitlin. We talked, hit it off. And here we are in 2023, planning our upcoming wedding. If you polled me at different points in my adult life, I don't know that I would have said I wanted to get married. It sat as a shruggy, vague, maybe for years. The idea of marriage and a wedding filled me with worries that I've heard echoed from others. Losing independence, families being nightmares fighting traditions versus leaning into them. But nearly all the steps to walking down the aisle have been okay. Easy, even. I partnered with someone who is an absolute blast, as is the rest of her family. Everyone I was afraid would spill the beans about the proposal didn't. Family opinions have actually been additive. We even reserved the venue we wanted, and we'll get married in our adopted home of New York City. All of the things I worried about haven't really mattered, except one thing. My fiancé and I chose to have a wedding party. We're calling them the Mates of Honor. And after the initial stress of choosing who those friends would be, then I started sweating. Because I would need to be in a bunch of wedding party photos. I started thinking of me standing in the middle of all these pictures, and I don't know, man. I was dreading it like getting on a cross-country flight. And to clarify, I'm someone who puts the jitter in jittery flyer. Out of all the customs that come with a wedding, 
all the things I could be worrying about, what's been causing my sour reaction to having a bunch of photos taken? I know it's not just one ingredient. It's a whole stew. And if you know me, I mean, if you've been listening to this show, you know I went searching for answers. I'm Mark Pagan, and you're listening to Other Men Need to Help Me Plan My Wedding. You need to call your mom tomorrow. Okay, I need to get info on the invitation stuff. Is there anything mm-hmm. on your mom's side? That she needs to do? Yeah. Uh, no. She's Roughly every two weeks, Caitlin and I sit and plan out the wedding. As of this recording, we're in a pretty good place with flowers, photographer, DJ, venue. We still have a few things to decide, though. We've acknowledged that the guest list seems to be a living and exponentially growing organism. We will need to get our wedding bands soonish. I have been thinking this week about the rings. About our bands? Yeah. Yeah. What have you been thinking? I haven't gone much past thinking about it. <laughs> and when you think of you said that, you're just like, I will need a ring. Then there's the dumb stuff, like having cotton candy and maybe a party gift that's a physical totem to careless whisper. You've looked up inflatable saxophones, haven't you? I certainly have. Like I said, while it's been work and we've had little disagreements, it hasn't been too stressful. Except when we've talked about the wedding party and the photos to accompany it. So we've been engaged for two years. And for almost two years, you have been fighting this allergy to wedding photography. But more specifically to having a wedding party that you were then photographed with. And when we talked about it, and a lot of it was just like, I don't want to be standing in a line with people. When that was your anxiety, it was like, yeah, dude, just like don't stand in a line. Like it just felt so automatic to me to like reject what the convention was. It's been hard to communicate even to myself what this is all about. And I get that people don't get what I'm having an issue with. And before you say, well, just don't take the photos, here's the thing. I want the photos taken. I actually feel very strongly about having my friends and I captured for posterity. It means a lot to me. But just like when someone asks, what's wrong a thousand times before you answer the truth about why you've been so grumpy lately, it's felt similar, except it's been me asking myself, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? So for the sake of Caitlin, my wedding party friends, and for myself, I wanted to walk through some of the issues. Well, there are multiple things besides the photo itself. Before I get into the first thing that bothers me, I'll clarify that I've been in wedding parties and I felt honored to be included when it's happened. And I don't have a groomsman photo I was in that I disliked. It's basically all groomsman photos that I'm allergic to. It's the matching outfits, the stock photos of friend A helping friend B put on their tie. The, hey, let's hold the groom across all our bodies because won't that be fun? I'm telling you, do not f***ing pick me up. 
It's mimicking a Charlie's Angels pose or the Abbey Road album cover. And if you're gonna do that, take your shoes off whoever is playing Paul. Or the posse shots of everything from Reservoir Dogs to Dogs of War. And I realized that last example is a deeper cut. So actually kudos to you and your friends if you pull that off. It's the smoking cigars, clinking whiskey tumblers, and let's all jump at the same time staging. And hey, I like cigars, whiskey, and jumping, but I don't like acting like I do with a smile on my face that says, let the good times roll. I would never say that. In fact, I think that was the first time I ever said that. No shade on you and your wedding party photos, but in the words of Austin Powers, it's just not my bag, baby. And yes, that includes Austin Powers-themed groomsmen photos. And I'm not the only groom or former groomsman who feels this way. Yeah, oh God, this is not who I am, but I thought this is who I wanted to be. I don't remember why, but for some reason, on the day, someone had brought like a 12-inch tall doll of Justin Bieber. The photographer wanted to take some of the classic groom getting ready photos, including the like helping him get his tie on. And as an Attorney for many years who wore a tie every day, I'm pretty good at putting on ties. But for some reason, I could not figure out how to get a tie on someone else. I got so much product in my hair. Is at my cousin's wedding, her now husband and his groomsmen took a bunch of getting ready photos of them doing beer bong and grabbing each other's crotches. Kneeling, but not fully, like the lower knee not quite on the ground, and then like one arm like fist pumping into the sky partway and I think I was holding the Justin Bieber doll. I could only do it by standing behind him like pressed against him and then reaching around him and tying his tie. At the reception, these same groomsmen tore each other's shirts off during all the dancing. So maybe I'm not alone. But still, all that being said, it makes me feel like the biggest Debbie Downer and yuckier yummer of wedding party photography. Am I being too much of a killjoy? And the first person I decided to throw my worries onto was a photographer. Not just a photographer, but someone who knows me enough and has a similar disposition as a thoughtful, creative Boricua peer to offer some intel you know, meet with the boys and like that sort of stuff. And I'm like, why am I being such a pill about all this stuff? I have an answer to that. What's that? All right, we're, I'm just going to go in. Go for it. To give you some clarity on your particular situation, perhaps. Christopher Gregory Rivera is an incredible photographer and a great mind. We worked together on a project a few years back, and I always appreciated his thoughts on identity and the ways we craft that identity through images. He shot weddings in the past, but has stepped away from doing that anymore, although he does capture a lot of photos of men in portraiture these days. I think people historically take pictures, right, as, as a portrait, like, a, like literally, like a king would be, I'm going to commission this painting. This is what I looked like. This is who I am. I am important, and this object will perdure throughout time and space, right? And the photograph made that more accessible. And so people would go to a portrait studio, we exist. This is our family. And so the practice of taking pictures at a wedding is very much the same thing. It's like, this is the moment where we celebrate our union. This is what we look like. This is it in celebration, visually, in pageantry. But photographs don't mean that anymore. 
they're avatars. They're signifiers of an aspiration. I mean, literally, when we make advertising photographers, we talk about, we need it to be more aspirational. Like when you take a picture with your friends, I think they're emulating perhaps advertisement, perhaps like the democratic media that they consume. This is part of the problem for me. The way men are supposed to do a thing a certain way. It's the same thing I see in the men's newsletters I get every week that tell me the five whiskey stones to buy or the watches that James Bond wore. It's like, this is how friendships are supposed to look. I think men are really interesting to photograph. I don't know if they're really into football, whatever they see on ESPN, right? If they're like tailgating, like, oh, let's take a picture. And this is what tailgating is supposed to look like. You know, they have the Yeti cooler and the thing. It becomes like a, a production because it, it's been modeled. From what Chris said, I can now clarify part of my allergy. I don't like the lack of authenticity often portrayed in these photos. I felt that way for so many things as a boy and now a man, siloing my experience of masculinity into something that feels like cosplay. I know no one's asking me to take these kinds of photos, but I sometimes get super tense when I feel like there are cultural norms I have to abide by. And when I explained it to Caitlin, she got it. I think that it's also like, if these are the tropes of like what this group of people look like, what these friendships look like, your closest friends aren't all men. Your group for this event is a bunch of different genders. Like it's already far from your experience because your closest friends are not all dudes. That's been one issue. And it's been helpful to identify it. And then there's the second issue that's more private, but it's what came up when I went to go talk to Ames Beckerman. Hi, buddy. Hi, Angie. He's fine. All right, we're good? The biggest issue with having clients in my studio is literally this. Ames is a photographer in Georgia. I visited him at his studio, which ostensibly is also his home, where he lives with his husband and 12,000 small dogs and cats. It's what Ames calls Pee-wee's Playhouse, a colorful lower floor of a studio with pictures of people like Liza Minnelli, Peter Allen, and Amanda Lepore. My eyes kept gravitating to a frame that had a bunch of cigarette butts and a label saying Liberace's cigarettes. My stepfather's mother died and I was helping them clean out her home. And I, I've actually never met the woman. And I was like in the garage going through stuff. And I'm like, this is so strange. Why is there a little envelope of Liberace cigarettes? So I framed it. I thought it was so strange. Ames has photographed many, many weddings before and shares some of the same feelings I hold about the inauthenticity captured in these spaces. I mean, the whole thing is staged. Just the idea, you know, when they're like, oh, the guys are going to be getting ready in this room, the women are going to be getting ready in this room. In no other facet of life at this point is there just like a bunch of maids helping a woman in a room, like, or a bunch of guys all together getting dressed. It's not what happens. When would you have your best friend, you know, pin the boutonniere to you? Like, it's weird. Like, you, you know, there's so many things that like you can dress yourself. You don't need someone else to like go behind you and help you get ready. Along with having taken wedding photos, 
I knew Ames had a portfolio of boudoir and erotic photography. And that's the reason I went to see him, to see how these worlds bled into each other. What can we learn about finding something authentic and physically intimate expressed in group shots when people literally get naked? We went through some of Ames's not-safe-for-work portfolio, colorful, groovy selections of individual and group shots. Folks looking, at times, very naked, but also very comfortable in their surroundings. Things in the realm of S&M. This I actually took on the back patio. It's kind of a dirty, dungeony space. Photos meant to court hookups and relationships. I did that a few nights ago. I'll have some guys come over who want photos for scruff and grinder. And images that fall more in the line of performance art. This is another one of the early shoots I ever did. He's this drag queen, and he just had, like, pudding and colors all over him. Like, he's eating it, and it was just a big mess on this gorgeous rooftop in Los Angeles. I had no idea that this was even something that went on in the world. We talked about techniques in photography to make people look more comfortable, tropes to avoid. And while I don't think smearing pudding or getting into bondage gear is what I was imagining with my wedding party, when I look at pictures like these... I see people being very brave and being proud of what their bodies look like. And the second very private thing that these wedding photos have brought up for me have been body insecurities I still hold in my life. I'm finding for the first time in a long time that I'm feeling insecure about being short and being photographed with taller people. It's stemming from sort of like high school and the staged pictures of going to homecoming or like standing with a group of taller people. And that's another part of it too. Like I've been photographed in groups many, many, many times since high school. And I've always been short. Getting ready for another highly photographed moment has resurrected flashbacks to the feelings of inadequacy standing next to peers in prom and homecoming photos. Seeing those photos and feeling a wave of emasculation. This is something that does not resonate with Ames, which was actually kind of helpful. Being around the same height as you, I can't really even identify with that. Now I have so many short friends, short male friends, most of them are trans, and it's like not even something that comes up. That's not a thing that I find most trans men are stressed about. And I think it's just one of those things that like, you can't change your height. I have a hard time really identifying with that. It just means in a group picture, I'm the one in the front. I appreciate Ames's cold water in the face about being short in group photos. I mean, I hate being reminded of this old insecurity. I'd rather have the photos be a record of people I was close with in my life, not some archive of feeling funky. Ames began sharing his story of getting comfortable with his body amongst other peers. And it turned into advice I really needed to hear to get over my lingering insecurities. When I first had top surgery, I was really excited to be topless, except that meant being topless. I was awkward when I should have been so comfortable and so excited. So when I first moved here, my husband goes to this campground, which is a, it's generally a clothing optional men's gay campground. And since going there and seeing, like, the variety of bodies that men have, 
I have seen so many men that are comfortable with their body and they have large penises, small penises, a nice butt, muscles, every variety. And that's really helped me to become more comfortable in my body. Is this something you'd recommend a lot of men do? Absolutely. And it's a very welcoming environment. Like it's just, they're just comfortable. I'm inspired by the people who just accept their body as is. They put it all out there. You know, they will show their fat rolls on Instagram. They talk about it. They're open about it. And I I aspire to be one of those people. I'm not quite there for me personally, but I can help others in that, in that journey. I can get behind them. I can help them with those photos. These examples of pride and bonding in a boudoir photo shoot set or a nudist campground of what happens when we just strip away and be amongst other peers. And I was taken with what I'm going to call naked comfort or naked bonding. And I'm open to the photos being a way of getting there. I can imagine where you think this is going next. And no, I'm not getting naked and taking some pictures with my friends. But I did bring these details back to Caitlin. It did open up these thoughts about What's important to me to see distilled in my friendships with these people? And one of those things besides laughter and joy is intimacy and authenticity and physical bonding. It's sort of creating like, what's your version of that moment for Ames when he went to the nudist retreat and how it then made him feel in his body? Like, what's your... What's your interpretation of that for these photos where like you're going to get out of your head about your height? You're going to get out of your head about the stagedness of it. Is there a thing that exists that you can borrow from? I did find a ritual and it's not a North American ritual. I came across a groomsman tradition that is very much about bonding and physical intimacy that is 100% in what I call a naked comfort zone. My name is Raya, Raya Manna, and my dad's archive is called Al Amin Archive, which was my grandfather's name. And my dad, who took all these pictures, is Mahmoud Manna. I found Raya's Al Amin Archive from an article a few years back talking about a photographer turned archivist who had been digitizing and sharing photos of Palestinian wedding traditions from the 70s to the 90s. Namely, boxes of her father's old photos. He was a local wedding photographer at the time. There's hundreds of pictures of like, just two friends taking pictures in in the wedding, the suits, the posing, the jewelry. It's beautiful. Men hugging each other, holding hands. I think it's just amazing. It's amazing to see that people were open to this kind of physical attachment without thinking about the queerness and the homophobia that we're noticing nowadays in Palestine and in other areas. Do you have a favorite image? The pictures of Hammam al-Aris, of the men naked in the, the shower, they are my favorite. Haman Alaris, Raya said, loosely translates to the groom's shower, where the groom is joined by his friends in a shower before the wedding, where they strip him down and bathe him. And there's one picture from the archive that captures it eye-catchingly. There are three men in a blue-tiled shower, 
naked and shot from the chest up. They're not just wet, but soapy. The mustached man in the middle has a childlike smile as the men to his right and left are seen soaping up his chest. I think because like it's it's the groom, he's like such a character. Like I know him. He was my my uncle's best friend. You can feel the atmosphere of the wedding just by looking at the pictures. They were having fun and yeah, they were feeling free to take shower together and have drinks inside the shower. But this is like the first time I see people like with the drinks, with the Arak cups, like inside the shower, drinking while they're showering. It's like crazy party going there. In all the ways this photo could look erotic or pornographic, there's something in the looks on their faces. The comfortable, supportive hand on the groom's chest, the goofy smiles that offer something more of a shared fraternal history. People who are not like Palestinians and familiar with the tradition, they're like shocked when they hear that it's like an ongoing tradition and people still do that up until today. Why would men who are not gay would do that? And how do they feel so comfortable being naked with like his best friends and relatives? I've never come across someone who who knows something like that is even similar to that tradition. And you can sense that they have felt like comfortable at some point expressing their feelings and expressing their love and not minding standing very close to each other or kissing each other on the cheek. And it's something precious that the camera can capture sometimes. That sentiment of something precious the camera can capture is probably the closest I could get to a sentiment I believe. There is something precious, a tradition of sorts that I don't have that I'm trying to capture with my friends. And then a series of questions wafted in. What happens when the camera cat captures something, when something is physically not there? Then sometime in the process of making this episode, it all hit me. This is about loss. All the men, the patriarchs in my family, are gone. My father and his brothers, and the man who stood by me for the last 30 years, my stepfather, Lorne. The people who would be there on my wedding day, who would naturally be photographed with me, share words, stand in ritual, offer physical support and encouragement, and put their hand on my shoulder. It's not so much longing for that intimacy in my friendships. It's asking for it on this day and in these photos. I'm putting so much weight into this one ritual and equating it with the lack of affectionate masculine legacies in my family and what's missing. This group of friends is having to act as a support system in a way I didn't know I needed and I just feel uncomfortable asking anyone to support me. I feel uncomfortable asking anyone to put their hand on my shoulder. But I need someone to put their hand on my shoulder. I want to make super clear that this isn't putting a shadow on my wedding. No, no. The majority of it has been super exciting and happy. But I imagine there would be emotional surprises for both Caitlin and me And, well, I know how awkward grief can be as a party guest, but there's some relief in saying, where is the grief in all of this? And then going, oh, there you are, there you are. And out of everyone I know, 
when it comes to loss and the unexpected ways it shows up, Caitlin always gets it. You can't have your dad or your stepdad having like a moment of counsel with you before this happens. Your dad giving you cufflinks or like adjusting your tie. Or them just like watching you get married. Our dads don't get to watch us get married. It's like transposing the pressure onto these other photos because your friends have to be that stand-in for all of those other people who are not alive to be at our wedding. I can imagine feeling at sea because you are sort of responsible for creating it for yourself. I'm thinking about this and thinking about, you know, you want like someone to put their hand on your shoulder. You want sort of that, the ritual, like washing to like move someone into the role of like the bridegroom and like sending them off. And I have an idea. It is another thing that's not your tradition. You're adjacent to it, like you're marrying a Jew. And so it wouldn't be totally random appropriation to borrow a convention from that space. Kaylin explained the tradition. It's part of the Tish, where assembled friends and family of the groom sing and chant and generally have bonding time before the groom sees his bride for the bedeken or veiling, where these people will accompany him and sing him over. Maybe there's something of an answer in there. And with this suggestion, Caitlin and I added a new to-do for our wedding list. Look into adapting this tradition. It's something that doesn't involve florists or cotton candy or family input, but a potential way for my friends to put their hands on my shoulders without having to pose like the Avengers. Caitlin's helpful brain is one of a million reasons why we're getting married and why I'm forever grateful I was lured to a potluck by brisket six years ago. As far as my friends I've decided to honor, the truth behind who I am and who these people are to me will never be reflected in a photograph. The years of text messages, the fact that one friend is the first to say, I love you without adding man, how one of these friends always seems to pick up the tab during those times in my life when I just need to be spoiled. I think of everyone's reactions to being asked to be a part of the party. The fact that everyone in this group is a good hugger. They're a really good group of people. The best group. And to go back to something I mentioned earlier, I really want photos with this group. The other thing too, which I don't know that I've expressed, I want the photos with my friends. And I want to look fucking cool. I just have to acknowledge that, too. (laughs) That's really what it's all about. It's like, these jokers look cheesy, and I I am going to look so cool in my version of this. What is my airtight way of looking super cool?
This episode was written, hosted, and executive produced by Mark Pagan and was produced by Caitlin May Burke and Ben Goldberg. Our season's lead producers are Ben, Caitlin, and Rebecca Seidel. Navani Otero is our producer. Schneez Tendel is our associate producer. Rebecca is our lead engineer. Ben is our lead editor. Our researchers this season are Bay Wang and Shanice. Tuck Woodstock is our sensitivity listener. Noah Hofelder is our intern. Season four production mascots are Soka, the furry baby, and the late sweet pity pig named Lena. If you listen closely, you can hear her snoring in some of the tape this season. Original music this season comes from Fulton Street Music Group, composed by Ed Duran, produced by Alex Fulton, with additional instrumentation by Ryan Chamberlain and Liam Moore. Other original music this season comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Season four illustrations done by the magical hands of Daniel De La Huerta. Special thanks to Jason Duffett, Kara Strait, Asher Leventhal, Brian Witten, the Burks, the Stocktons, some Pagans, You know what? I'm just going to say all friends and family, I love you. If you want to join the extended Other Men community, sign up for a weekly newsletter at markpagan.substack.com where you'll get weekly stories, interviews, short films, and suggestions for what to read, listen, and react to in the world of masculinities. Sign up at markpagan.substack.com. This is the last episode of the season. Thank you for joining us on all these journeys. Until next time, adios, chau chau, bye. I definitely like I want to show joy and things like that, but I keep thinking of like Jean-Pierre Melville movies oh my and God. just these French gangsters. But how putting that on the people that you know that are gonna be at my wedding party, that could be so much fun. It could be cool. I mean, it's at least worth it's something where it's like, can we just do 15 minutes? And is the joy in also shooting everyone cracking up because this is dumb. Or I record a fake French um, narration over it. We play <laughs> I walked in the bar and he was waiting for me there. I shot him. So be it. <laughs> and everyone is like, I'm trying to be serious. I'm trying to be serious. And you're just playing it on your phone. <laughs>